the spice expands consciousness. Expands consciousness. I got a letter in which a young man said Who gave the United States the right to tell Brazil what to do? What if Brazil says to us that we produce far more carbon dioxide than any other nation because we have more automobiles We have more motors, we have more industry, and we are polluting the atmosphere far more on a per capita basis than anyone else on Earth. And therefore, why shouldn't they have the right to tell us to cut down our, on our industry, to, to clean up our pollution, instead of telling them not to cut down their farms. And I answered and said, you make a very good point. But now, look through my article and see where I said it was the United States who was supposed to make these decisions. I didn't say anywhere that it was the American right to police the world or to tell them what to do. And in fact, that gets to the nub of the whole point. That we are facing problems that transcend nations. That when we talk about the greenhouse effect, we're talking about something that affects not just the United States, not just Brazil. That affects the entire Earth. For the worse. When we talk about the disappearance of the ozone layer, And everyone says, well, gee, if the ozone layer goes, there'll be more skin cancers, more eye cataracts. That's the least of it. We don't know what will happen when the ozone layer goes. 
We're going to have a lot more uh, ultraviolet rays hitting the surface of the Earth, perhaps killing the plankton in the oceans, perhaps killing the soil bacteria, upsetting the ecological balance very fundamentally, making the Earth a lot less livable. Skin cancer might be the last thing we have to worry about. Or someone else says, well, it just means you go out with the sunshade, you put on suntan oil, that's for human beings, of course. We go around doing the same to all the little bacteria in the soil and so on. But if that happens, if we do lose the ozone layer, it's for the whole world that is lost. It doesn't matter which nation makes use of chlorofluorocarbons most. We all get it. If the population goes up to the point where we destroy the resources of the Earth, it doesn't matter which nation is most populous, we all get it in the neck. If we have a nuclear war that produces a nuclear winter, or a fallout that kills people everywhere. It doesn't matter who started the war, it doesn't matter at whom the nuclear bombs were aimed, we'll all get it. You can go through the entire list of dangers that face humanity, and the very point of the whole thing is that they face humanity and not any one section of it. You can go through the entire list of dangers that face humanity, and the very point of the whole thing is that they face humanity, and not any one section of it. And therefore I might say in passing, that this should be a peculiar interest to humanists. I have always thought that the reason we're called humanists is that we're involved with human beings as opposed to the supernatural, the existence of which is dubious at best. But,
I was thinking, oh, I wonder how it would feel to be a black slave at a time when everybody was enslaved and there was no um, institutionalized racism. Um, when slavery was not that unusual, bad thing. I mean, Athens, Egypt, Moscow, you name it, they all rested on the slave society. Um, they called them different things, serfs, peasants, whatever. But you needed some unemployed people who were dependent on the fiefdom and so on. So that was not the unusual thing. The racism was. That was unusual. Let me, why don't, you know, what I would like to do, what I would really like to do, it's an idea which maybe we can take hold of in this room. I want to establish modest proposal, White History Week. <laughs> but the answer to these questions is not to be found in me, but in that history which produces these questions. It's late in the day to be talking about race relations. What are you talking about? And if as long as we have race relations, how can they deteriorate or improve? I am not a race and neither are you. No, we're talking about the life and death of this country. And one of the things, I'm not joking when I talk about White History Week. One of the things which most afflicts this country is that white people don't know who they are, where they come from. That's why you think I'm a problem. But I am not the problem. Your history is. And as long as you pretend you don't know your history, you're going to be the prisoner of it. And there's no question of you're liberating me, because you can't liberate yourselves. We're in this together.
ناس 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 ميريخ 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 هذا سيخ الزمن هذا سيخ الزمن ونوريو فين ونوريو فين ونوريو فين ونوريو فين ما غسش ونال تموت ناس 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 I don't need to 
government talk about they're gonna buy a mace and give it to the police department so it can deter you young kids from peace demonstrations and all that and so that made me mad and if you youngsters get mad enough to do a little research it's groovy to demonstrate against Dow Chemical and tell them don't make napalm but you better do your homework and find out Dow Chemical makes about 200 other products including little tissue papers you wipe your eyeglasses off with and Dow soap can you see a little kid washing up with Dow soap so he can hurry up and demonstrate against Dow Chemical 
You let Dow Chemical know you're going to boycott them home products, baby. They'll hurry up and get out of the napalm-making business. And so I did my homework, and I looked up, and I found out every time I bought a pack of cigarettes, I gave the government eight cents tax. And at the end of the year, the cigarette industry gave the government two billion more dollars. And at that point, I decided I will not catch cancer and buy napalm and mace at the same time. So I say to you young folks, if you want to end that war in Vietnam in a hurry, I dare you. You smoke the last cigarette out your pack, take that empty pack, mail it into the cigarette industry with a little note that tells them you will not smoke or buy another cigarette till the war is over in Vietnam, plus you will entice your friends not to smoke or buy another cigarette till the war is over in Vietnam. And I guarantee you when the cigarette company get enough of them empty packs and realize the Vietnamese getting free means they might go bankrupt, they will fly into Washington, D.C., kick LBJ's dough in, smack that barbecue sauce off his mouth, and I guarantee you when they get through with LBJ, the troops will be coming home within six weeks' time. This is the power that you youngsters have. countryman and it's uh for the last four years i spent in and out of courts and i learned some very groovy things i learned one that well first protest anybody who protests is uh very religious because that's all protest is is uh then as long as the federal courts are open there can't be any martial law and i don't care if nine million people sing their ass off forget about it there's the government's not set up. You can't do anything by marching. Forget about it. If there's any kind of relief you want in the court. All of it. If I, I tell you that, to go to any federal judge and tell him, uh, we're here in Selma, Alabama, just give him a piece of paper and say, I'm poor and I don't have an attorney. And I understand in the federal system that you have formal pauper's proceedings. Where if a poor person comes and hasn't got counsel, you let him proceed for nothing in this court and you'll get him counsel. I got a group of people and we want to march through the town. And we're made up of nuns and priests and rabbis and educators. And we dress well and what our idea is that we'll march through the town and look well dressed and we'll impress the townspeople with our power. And they'll see that it's smart to desegregate and get some class. But the fear that we have is that it's quite inflammatory to these people who have never seen black and white people hold hands and they might attack us. And if they attack us, we'll lose our point. Because what our point is to show how good it is to be integrated. So it'll be a part of the communication system. And to say that uh, if we'll make trouble, don't march is no answer.
big men have got to change an awful lot. I think somehow they still prefer the little woman. They're just staying way, way behind. And so as a result, I think millions of women are very happy to be by themselves. They're so bored with the whole business of, you know, trying to be the little woman. When the no such thing really exists anymore. It just simply doesn't. The world's gone way beyond it. You know, and the real female should be partly male, and the real male should be partly female anyway. So if you ever run into that in either sex, you run into something very, very fine, I think. It's got a whole new sex. Well, there is a new sex starting, I think. There's neither man nor woman. It's a very independent male creature that lives alone. And a lot of independent females who live alone. It's all very sad. But it's much easier for both sexes to do it this way nowadays. And I often have said, you know, if men find out how to give birth to children, they'll never propose again. I don't think politicians are natural crooks. Oh, no, I don't think most of them are. I think they are actors. And actors are neither men nor women. Actors belong to a third sex. Actors are actors. And one aspect of it is the political game. But that kind of acting is not lying. As long as it refers to and reflects and exalts the essential commonly held ideals of a culture. Those performances are part of our culture even though they are performances. Even though some of the actors themselves may be cynical about their performance. But what we have now cannot be excused in this term. But you said only the last time you wouldn't mind the job of president of the United States. Do I take it that you're still uh, in candidacy? Well, uh, they haven't. They haven't been burning up the wires. Since this is kind of a department store potpourri of thought, let me make mention of one of the major issues on the Ohio State campus a few years ago, which under this new administration might well be a problem here. The business of communist speakers, or indeed any kind of politically suspect lecturers appearing on publicly supported campuses. I've always felt that the denial of a platform to even the most rabid of enemies is somehow a tacit admission that the point of view espoused by that enemy carries with it some weight of logic that we must be fearful of if indeed his voice has to be stifled by an official directive. I seriously doubt if a communist or a Nazi could come up with so winning a collection of fact and opinion that he would make any substantial inroads on a college audience. But once you deny him that platform, 
there is most assuredly an innate suggestion that he is to be feared because of his logic and because of the positions he takes. And I don't believe this is the case. My guess is rather that most ideologies that call for omnipotent governments and monolithic governing structures are by their nature an anathema to those of us who respect freedom. And because I like to put my money where my mouth is, I would extend that freedom of this platform to almost anyone, so long as he didn't yell fire in the crowded theater. And I suppose this would pretty much run the gamut of the kookiest of political thought in this country, practically down to Rockwell and his Nazis as well. Let them speak. Let's hear what they say. Usually I find that they damn themselves. And now that I've bespoken of evils and ills and wrongdoings and injustices, let me close by offering not the universal cathartic that will somehow cure us all, but let me suggest that whereas this is not the best of all possible worlds, its potential remains quite intact. And I think this potential stems from the very thing we've been discussing, the business of talking out, of dissenting, of arguing, and rebutting. That's the universal language, speech, dialogue communication. Therein lies the hope, communication. That's the highway between men's minds that guarantee as long as men talk, they will not fight. And as long as they do not fight, they survive.
where to be a mother was never thought of as just being the mother of your child, just your child. That's, that's totally not my culture. I mean, I, I know that there are cultures where there's the thing of the hovering mother, you know, the mother who's just focused right just on her, her child or her family. We never had that. We always thought that to be a mother is to be a mother in the, in the old, old, old sense where you were the mother of everyone in your village, everyone in your community, and everyone, you know, everywhere. And I feel this very deeply. I mean, I really don't even understand how people can claim that they love children and they don't move a muscle to stop the bombing of children anywhere. I just don't get it. Thank you. 
we will change in order to satisfy the present, in order to satisfy the future, but we will not die. We will change, but we will not die. From what to what? Why not change from a party with a reputation of tax and spend to one with a reputation of investment and growth? Change. Change. A growth, a growth economy is a must. We can grow the economy and sustain and improve environment at the same time. When the economy is growing and we are taking care of our air and soil and water, we all prosper and we can do all of that. When I say something like that, I certainly do not mean the thinly disguised racism and elitism, which is some kind of trickle-down economics. I'll tell you, I will tell you the kind of economy I'm talking about. I'm talking about an economy where a young black woman or a young black man born in the fifth ward of Houston, my town, or South Central Los Angeles, or a young person in the colonias of the lower Rio Grande Valley. I'm talking about an economy where those persons can go to a public school, learn the skills that will enable her or him to prosper. We must have an economy does not, that does not force that migrant worker's child to miss school for a full day so that she can work, so that she can work at less, at less than the minimum wage and doing that, the family can still only afford one meal a day. That, that is the moral bankruptcy of trickle-down economics.
The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored, and it's very loud, and it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time, and they begin to question, is this real, or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us, and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride, and we, kill those people. <laughs> Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. We can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. A choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you put bigger locks on your door, buy guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapons and defense each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing, and educating the poor of the world, which it would many times over, not one human being excluded, and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever. closing, I'd like to ask you youngsters to do me a favor. I'd like for you to go to the library one day soon and, and get the Declaration of Independence and copy it down and keep it 24 hours a day with you. And this summer, when the ride season open up again, here's what I'd like for you to do for me. I'd never be sick enough to stand here and tell you to justify violence or rides. I want you to get your television set and put it in the middle of the floor and go get your mama and your daddy and bring them down and, and if you're black, get all them old stupid cousins and aunts that think worse than the Ku Klux Klan could ever think and bring all of them down and let them look at television. Them niggas will be sacking and burning and looting them towns. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take the sound and turn the sound completely off so all they can see is just them cats burning. Take out your Declaration of Independence and move as far back behind your folks as you can and while they watching them niggas burn and tap them towns, Read your Declaration of Independence as loud as you can. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights that when these rights are destroyed over long periods of time, it is your duty to destroy or abolish that government. Thank mm -hmm. you.